do, do I get it? Do I really get who Jesus is? Well, in our text this morning, I think, again, he's going to continue to unveil who he is to his disciples and therefore to us. And as I mentioned, I think that these two events specifically that we have uh, recorded for us beginning in Mark chapter 6 in verse 30 um, really tie and, and reveal Jesus' identity to Israel's past. And I think that these are connections that they should have made um, and, and, and probably escaped, but, but probably escaped most of them. Look with me at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And this refers back to um, verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey and so forth. And, and, and we looked at that last week. Now they have returned. We don't know how long it's been. But they have returned to Jesus and, and they are telling him all that they had done and all that they had taught. This was, a, this was an important debriefing time uh, for Jesus and his disciples. And verse 31, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming, for, for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran on their foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And he went ashore. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Uh, This is um, the feeding of 5,000 is the only... A miracle that we have recorded that is that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. So it would be important, and we won't have time this morning, be important to, to, to read all of these different accounts to get a fully orbed understanding of what happened. In fact, we will be looking at, at, at Matthew a little bit. So because the fact that, there, that it was recorded in all four Gospels leads me to believe that, not that the others aren't important, but this is, this is significance. This parable, or, or this account, this miracle, has some kind of significance for us and for them. And what I want us to do is, in the feeding of the 5,000, and when we look at him walking on the water, I want us to look at, first of all, I just want us to look at, the, I guess, the physical details. Just, it, it's really straightforward. The, 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 what they experienced was very clear and very straightforward on a surface level in terms of the physical details. But then I want us to look at the spiritual realities behind what was going on on the surface. And Jesus shows up. He wants to take his disciples away for a time of rest and go to a, a desolate place. Um, and as we just read, as they're on their way, a great crowd saw them, and they uh, they ran on ahead ahead to, to, to meet them there. In fact, remember if it said um, they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So they're going back across the other side of the lake. Well, they. They must have footed it. They, they, they double-timed it. And when he, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What's a, what's a sheep without a shepherd? What do you think are some characteristics of... Can you imagine... 
it would be kind of like, what would, what would these little ones over here, well, they're gone now. Hi. What would they be without parents? If, if we just let them just go wherever they wanted to go. Is, is that what happens at grand, grandparents' house? <laughs> my grandkids come to my house and it's like sheep without a shepherd. Well, what are some characteristics of sheep without shepherds? They're wild. Yeah, just going wherever. Extreme danger would not be safe to have these small children running all, all over the place. They could get hurt. Vulnerable. No provision. Yeah, I, I was thinking that. Uh, I, I made a sandwich the other day and Reggie was sitting there looking at me. And I thought, what would it be like to, to have to be dependent on someone else to feed you? You know, just little things like that. What, what would that be? What would that be like? Where you just couldn't go and just get something, whatever you want, whenever you want to eat. And 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 the sheep without a shepherd, it, it was a very common prophetic topic. If, for instance, if you read Jeremiah, the the, the prophet Jeremiah and prophet Ezekiel, uh, Jesus talks about the, that then that the the, the 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 false shepherds and the shepherds that were not shepherding the sheep. Um, and th- th- this is a common theme, and and he had compa- my, my translation said compassion on them, but it was literally he was moved with compassion. Jesus was physically moved with compassion over these people who did not know him. Remember that these were unbelievers. These were just your ordinary rank and file Israelites who were following Jesus around because. Quite frankly, they were getting healed and getting fed. As we see, they're going to get fed. And he began to teach them many things. Probably the same things that he'd been teaching all along about the the kingdom of God is near. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. And he said a blessing, or he gave thanks. And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. They were stuffed. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Jesus was teaching this large multitude. We read in verse, we just read in verse 44. How many were there? How many? 5,000. 5,000 men. Now, this is what's interesting. This is not anthropoi. This is not a, a, one of the more generic terms for men or for people. But this is aner. This is a word that is often used 
well, most often used, not always, but most often used for males. If you wanted to specify the difference between a man in terms of people and a male, you'd use a nair. So many believe that this was, the, he it was just counting the men, that there were maybe upwards of 10,000. So you, you figure on an average, uh, you know, spouses and children, this group probably could have been as close to 10,000 people. And they lacked food. It was the, the day was, was drawing near. It was getting to, to be supper time. And what did the disciples say to Jesus? We have a need here. And the need is they need to... They need to eat. They need something to eat. Send them away so they can go to this... By the way, really interesting insight, isn't Into kind of the economics. To go to the various villages and towns to buy something to eat. So obviously there was... Some capacity of, uh, you know, people would sell food or they'd be able to buy food. And, and, and what does Jesus say? You feed them. Now you're, how many of them were there? There's 12 of them. What's 10,000 divided by 12? 833. So, Mitch, you got you have responsible for these 833. Yeah, think. I want you to think about the logistics of this for a minute. Let's say there were 10,000 people there, and Jesus and his 12 disciples are standing there, and they have no food and they have no money, and and, and the disciples say, "We don't have any food." And by the way, they estimated how much it would cost if they were to pay for the food to feed these people, if they were to cater the event, how much it was going to cost? 200 denarii. Anybody in your Bible, so, does it make a conversion? What's that? Oh, more than 40 bucks. Oh. What kind of Bible do you have? <laughs> this would have been a year's wage. This, it, it would have been astronomical to feed 10,000 people. In fact, that's what they said. They said, Jesus, come on. Where are we going to come up with that kind of money? The need was too costly. It was too inconvenient. In other words, how would you, logistically, how would you do this? And it was going to require a great deal of effort. And all of this was in a very, they'd have to complete in a very short period of time because the day is drawing to a close. And Jesus' solution was, you feed them. They went and they found two or five loaves. What was it? Five loaves and two fish. That's all they could rustle up. Five loaves and two fish. And so what did Jesus do? He had them sit down in groups. Hundreds and fifties. Probably even broke it down more than that. And he prayed... Look at the text again. He prayed, he blessed it, and he began to hand it out. He divided them among them all. Now, I, I, I want you to stop and think. How do you how do you in, how do you envision what was happening? Um, obviously, it was in Jesus' hands. So when he when he took a piece of a, bre- a bread and he broke it off, did it? Did, did it grow back? 
What about the fish? This would have been a whole fish, and, and most believe it would have been, you know, kind of dried. So they would they would put put it on the piece of bread um, when he would when he would break the fish, or did he break the fish? Did did, did the fish? Mark doesn't tell us, but I just think about this for a minute. Just the the what it, the, the miraculous power it would take to sit there and starting with five loaves and two fish to be able to feed upwards of. 10,000 people. It's interesting how Mark does not tell us. None of the the Gospels tell us really how that happened. Um, Not only that they had something to eat, but the text says they were satisfied. They they were full. They They had more than enough. And they all ate, and they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. They had more left over after everybody had eaten than they had to be than they had at the beginning. Those are the those are the surface. Those are the physical details. Just this miraculous event. These people were probably clueless as to what was going on because it was all in Jesus' hands. But as I said, I think that there are some spiritual realities that uh, are embedded in this story. That, that, that Jesus is unveiling about who He is. Not just for the disciples, but for you and me. The, the, the first thing is this, this notion of sheep without a shepherd. He, had, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Actually, let's start start in, in chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Look down with me at verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Verse 26. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. You're not one of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now turn to 11.
I'm sorry, did I say it? John, let's, is it John 11 or John 6? I, I do. Let's, let's go to John, is it John 6? Yeah, John 6, I'm sorry. And, and, and we're going to see this, not just in terms of shepherd, but in terms of bread. On the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea that there had only been one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because of the signs, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. So He says that I am the Good Shepherd, I give my life, and then He equates it to the the notion of the bread of life. I am the bread of life, not just the Shepherd, not just the Good Shepherd, but I am the bread of life. And and so, when He feeds this 5,000, it's not just Him giving them the meal. That he is making a connection between the bread and this act of feeding them with who he is. As those who do not have a shepherd, they they should have made that connection from Jeremiah and Ezekiel of them being shepherdless. We see it in John chapter 10 when he said, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. These were the the religious leaders of their day. They, They were false shepherds. They were neglecting the sheep. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I am the one who gives you true bread. Look, um, look at chapter 6, verse 30. So they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now what's he talking about there? Remember Moses? When Moses took them out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness or they're in their exodus away from Egypt and they don't have bread and God miraculously provides them manna. It was a kind of bread. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. What were they probably thinking? They're still thinking physical bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So, what did this feeding of the 5,000 represent? It represented Jesus himself who in this act of feeding them physically, said, that bread represents me. I am the true bread from heaven. Whoever eats of me will never be hungry. He is the good shepherd who feeds his sheep. Not physical bread, but spiritual bread. Namely, first and foremost, him. In fact, later on, in verse 41... 
He says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So this is not, guys, this is not just Jesus giving them some food. Yes, he was giving them some food, but this was, he was making a very, very intentional tie to their past, Israel's past, in terms of him being the good shepherd, in terms of him being the true manna, the true bread from heaven. That while this bread just filled them temporarily, that he could provide them with eternal satisfaction. Back to John, or Mark chapter 6, there's another connection that he makes here. And, and if, it's, it'd be very easy to miss. Mark chapter 6, verse 40. Oh, verse 39. When he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And how did he, how did he divide them out? Hundreds and fifties. Now, turn to Exodus chapter 18. Again, I don't think this was random. I don't think it was just practical. Exodus 18. Israel is in a remote place. Just like they are in Mark chapter 6. Verse 21. Jethro is giving instructions to Moses. And he said, verse 20, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you'll be able to endure. And all these people will also go to their place. Look at uh, verse 25. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads of the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Now again, you may say, well, this is just a coincidence. This is just a coincidence. It, It just makes sense to break things down into smaller units. But I think it's instructive that Jesus used the same figures that Moses used in the Exodus of bringing them out. And and although the the context was completely different, these were judges that were going to minister to the people. I I think it's important that we see that throughout throughout the Gospels, Jesus made a very conscious connection between himself and Moses. That he was the new Moses. And just as Moses gave them manna from heaven, He was the true manna from heaven. And just as Moses sat them down, so to speak, in groups of hundreds and fifties, now he is sitting them down in hundreds uh, and fifties. That he, in fact, is the new Moses. So the, the physical setting is really straightforward. But underlying all of these events, there are spiritualities where Jesus is unveiling himself and unveiling who he is to them. 
And so we see the first miracle is the, the miracle of the bread. Now, turn back to, book, uh, to, to Mark chapter 6. We'll see the second one. Mark chapter 6. Verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. So everybody's eaten. They've, they've gathered up all this food. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowds. So now they're going back over to the other side. They're doing a lot of crisscrossing. And after he had taken leave of them, of the people, he had dismissed them. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Uh, Jesus ties together this event with the feeding of the 5,000 and the loaves. What are the physical details of this story? Again, very straightforward. It it is near the evening. They they have already eaten. They've had their fill. Jesus is going to dismiss them, but he sends his disciples across the lake again. And we see that they... Um, verse 48 they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them and about the fourth watch of the night now what do your Bibles say about the fourth watch this was Roman time 3 to 6 a.m. so let's say they left at I don't know what time might they have possibly left when's dinner time I don't know 6 let's say they left at 8 or 9 o'clock at night Let's say they left as late as 9 o'clock at night. It is now between 3 and 6. So they've been out there for a good 6 hours or so, and they're not making any progress. Now, this wasn't a storm like before. This was just a headwind. And they were struggling. All night long, they had been fighting against this wind and no doubt had come to the end of their resources. And what does the text say? He saw them, that they were making headway painfully. Now, we don't know if this was a supernatural, if, if, if supernaturally he was able to see them, or if by where he was on the mountain when he went to pray, he was able to look down and see them. I don't know how he would do that with it being dark. Um, probably there's a supernatural element to this, where he saw that they were struggling, that they were making headway painfully. And he came to them walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people say, well, see, they were superstitious. That that they thought, most of our translations say ghost. But here's what's interesting. That's not our only option. This word could mean ghost, but it could mean an illusion. In other words, they could have said that their eyes, our eyes are deceiving us. 
we, we appeared, it, it, it appears as though we see him. So I don't think it was they had some kind of occultic belief in disembodied dead people who, who, who roamed the earth as ghosts. There, there is no evidence that the disciples had ever had that kind of a, a belief or, or a worldview. I think it was more of the, from the standpoint of that, that, they, that they couldn't believe their eyes. That it was, this was a, a, a phantom. <laughs> it was an illusion. But whatever it was, they were, they were terrified. And Jesus gets in the boat and he says, It is me, it is I. Take heart. And once again, he says, Don't be afraid. He got in the boat and the wind ceased. What are the spiritual realities? Again, physically straightforward. What are the physical realities? Well, it's interesting that what's the result of Jesus walking on the water according to Mark? They were terrified. And when he finally got into the boat and the wind ceased, they were what? They were astounded. And then what does 52 say? Their hearts were hardened. Now, this was not hardened in the same sense of hardened like sin, but it had this. They were, it was spiritually insensitive. It was their hearts were dull. They really they didn't get it. Now, keep your mark here because we're going to come back and forth. Turn to Matthew chapter fourteen. Chapter fourteen. This is Matthew's account of this event. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, and the wind was against them. And in the fourth, night, fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. But Mark said, their hearts were hardened, and they didn't understand. couple things. First of all, when Jesus was out on the lake, it said, there was a little phrase that said, he intended to pass them by. Now, what does that mean? There are a couple options. First of all, it could mean, from their perspective, it seemed like he was going to pass right by them. But Jesus, or that the text says that he intended to pass them by. What's going on there? A spiritual reality. 
Turn again to Exodus chapter 33. Where do we see this in the Old Testament? Exodus 33, again, another allusion to the Exodus. They've been camped at Mount Sinai. It's time to go. The Lord said to Moses, Moses, it's time for you and the people to go. Look with me. Let's see. Where do we want to start? Let's start in verse 17. By the way, Moses said, hey, if you don't go before us, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim you be, claim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. In 34, verse 7, this is verse 6, The Lord passed before him. And proclaim, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This, this notion of passing by. I think that this is not just Jesus was testing them. I don't think this was, they, they, they perceived, it, it appeared to them that he was just going to walk on by them. But I think that in fact... Mark, through his gospel and through these, through these gospel writers, were making a very clear distinction that Jesus was passing by them in terms of showing them his glory. It was the same as Moses in, in God showing him his glory, that you couldn't look on his glory directly, but that he was going to pass by and cover his eyes, and he was going to see it glory only from the, from the backside. And then this notion about, well, did they believe or not? Because Mark says that their hearts were dull. They, were, they, they didn't get it. They didn't make the connection. They didn't understand the spiritual realities that the loaves represented. That's what he means in Mark 6 when he said they, they, they didn't understand about the loaves. What does he mean? Well, he means they didn't understand the, the, the spiritual significance of the loaves. And, but Matthew says he got in the boat and what did they say? Seems like they got it. This is, um, this is what we, is part of what theologians call the synoptic problem. And theologians have been arguing over this for years. The synoptic problem is basically how do we account for all of the agreements that we see in, in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? And how do we explain, for the, how do we explain why is there disagreement? If they were all seeing the same event, why are there disagreements? And so they've come up with all kinds of elaborate theories. The two-source theory, the Q document, all these theories to try to figure out the relationship between these Gospels. And there are, there are admittedly 
times, many places where the Gospels seem to be saying two different things. And this is one of them. So the question is, how do we harmonize these, these things when the Gospel writers seem to be apparently giving contradictory information? How do we solve this? In Mark chapter 6, verse 52, it says their hearts were hardened, they were astonished because they just didn't get it. Matthew, they said, truly this is the Son of God. Let me offer you my resolution of this, and then we'll wrap this up. If we take their hearts were hardened and worshipped Him, in Matthew 14, as synonymous, then we in fact have a contradiction. Or an apparent contradiction. I think the problem is not so much um, timing as it is chronology. For instance, let me give you a possibility. Let me give you a rundown. Uh, and, and I have what we call harmonized or I've conflated Matthew over Mark. See what you think about this. Number one, the, the disciples see Jesus. Matthew and Mark record that. Then... This is chronologically, Jesus speaks comfort to them. Both Matthew and Mark record that. Now, it's interesting. What did, what did Matthew include that Mark didn't? Peter. The whole incident's with Peter. So now, right now, Peter comes to Christ on the water, which is interesting because most believe that Mark got most of his information from Peter. But Mark left this out. So, Jesus speaks comfort to them. Then Peter comes to Christ. Only Matthew records that. Peter, or Jesus corrects Peter's doubt. Just Matthew. Jesus now gets into the boat. Matthew and Mark. The wind stops. Matthew and Mark. The disciples are astonished and hardened. They don't get it. That's Mark. But then, then it starts to dawn on them. And they realize what had just happened. And then it starts to sink in. And then they worship Him. So, I don't think it's a contradiction. It's a matter of chronology. Hardness, dullness, insensitivity came first. They didn't get it. And then it started to sink in with them. And they started to realize about the loaves, and now they started to realize about this, this, what has just happened on the water, and it starts to sink in. And then they conclude by worshiping Him as the Son of God. All we need is bread and water. What do I mean by that? Guys, I wonder how many times, on, on a daily basis, are there things that ha- are happening around me and to me and with me on a, physical, on, a, on a physical basis? But I fail to see the spiritual realities behind them. In other words, how often am, am I just like these disciples? Where I'm, spiritual, I, I'm completely dull and insensitive to spiritual realities of what Jesus is doing in my life through the, through the physical things that are happening. And all I see, all I look at, all I perceive, and all I see 
is earthly things and physical things and, 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 and earthly details. And I fail to discern and to understand that I have a Savior who is working spiritual realities behind earthly realities. I have difficulty perceiving these spiritualities in what the Lord is doing through the physical realities in my life. I fail to make those connections. What we need to see, what we need to rely on, what we need to trust, what we need to believe, contrary to dull hearts, but we need to have receptive hearts, I think with two things. Number one, His compassion. Jesus is one who is moved with compassion. It tells us about His desire to work in our lives. And number two, His power. To be, to be desirous or willingness to work in our lives would be meaningless if He was, didn't have the power to work in our lives. Here, here's what I want us to do. I want us to, start, I want us to start believing and trusting and seeing and perceiving that there are greater spiritualities that are going on other than just what I can see and experience in my life. When bad things happen in my life, there are greater spiritualities. The Lord is using that and the Lord is working in and through that. And when good things are happening in my life, I need to see the spiritualities that the Lord is involved in that life. And how often are we like the disciples where we just don't get it? And we, we view and we live life on a purely physical plane. And we don't see the spiritualities that lie beneath the surface. And ultimately, we don't believe that based on miracles. Just like they, they, they saw the miracles and they still didn't get it. But we perceive those things, we believe those things, we trust those things, as the Bible says, by faith. All we need is bread and water. Let's pray. Father, you are working in our lives every single day. Father, sometimes events occur in our lives that are huge and big. uh, And oftentimes undesirable. And they're disastrous. They're just absolutely, completely disastrous. And sometimes we wonder how we're going to go on. Father, at those times we need to look beneath the surface. And by faith believe that you are working and that we want to see you. And we want, to, we want a greater understanding of who you are and what you're doing. And Lord, for some of us, it is that life just seems to uh, cruise along and nothing really big, nothing really bad. And Father, our hearts can become dull to, to spiritual realities and Our hearts can become dull to You and all that You are doing and working in our lives. So Lord, I pray that we as a church would become more aware and more attentive and more willing to see You in and through the events and the occurrences in our lives, both those things that are challenging to us and those things that are just normal and mundane through the bread and through the water 
these men gained a new appreciation and understanding of your love, your compassion, and your power. And I pray that for us as well. Father, we thank you for all that you do in our lives. Jesus, thank you that you are a good shepherd. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you indwell us and are ever-present to help us in our time of need. We are so blessed. And it's in the name of the triune God that we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.